Hi, Danny V here, host of Words and Nerds. This podcast is proudly partnered with Australia Reads, which is a not-for-profit initiative on a mission to get more people reading more books more often. The Australia Reads organisation believe reading is the key to a smarter, healthier, happier nation, as I do. For more information, head to australiareads.org.au. And now, it's over to your takeover hosts, Australia Reads ambassadors, Felice Arena and Adrian Beck. Hello everyone, welcome to this Words and Nerds Takeover episode, part of a trilogy of episodes to celebrate Australia Reads. Your takeover hosts are much-loved, best-selling author and all-round nice guy, Felice Arena, and me, Adrian Beck. Hi Felice, who is our guest for this episode? I'm really, really excited about our guest today. Uh, we can call a mate as well, but he's um, he's award-winning, not only award-winning, he's acclaimed award-winning the Prime Minister's Literary Award. He won that. Amazing. 2012. For uh, Look, I'm a huge fan of his work. You might know some of these books, Adrian. My name is Will Thompson, the Black Absolutely. Dog Gang runner. And, of course, this Prime Minister Literary Award for When We Were Two, um, which I've actually just returned to recently. And we're talking about what we're reading and for Australia Reads. I've returned to that and I'm you know, this author knows I'm a huge fan of his work and he's an inspiration for me as well. Um, so I've returned to that. And today I've spent the last couple of hours going through reading that. I mean, I loved it when it first came out, but I'm loving it even more today. Um, put your hands together. No, actually, no. What did I say the other day? Wiggle your ears if you're listening to this podcast, wherever you are, for the one and only Mr. Robert Newton. Robert! Oh, hi, guys. Hello, Thanks mate. for having me on. Robert, what you an legend. intro. <laughs> Great to see you, Robert. Uh, how are yeah. you? How are you spending uh, the Australia Reads? Are you diving into a book, um, or are you busy? Uh, you know, at the fire station because listeners may not realise that not only are you an award-winning, acclaimed author, you're also a firefighter. I am. That's right. And I think the last time I saw you two guys. You came to visit the fire station. Do you remember that? We yeah, did. Absolutely. <laughs> How did. Was that was a lot of hose? fun, wasn't was it? Was he a natural or was he, did he need a few points? Well, each, oh, he, he tended to hog the hose a bit. He wouldn't share. We were squirting the hose a bit and he tended to hog the hose. <laughs> it was great. We had a, it was a fun time, wasn't it? It was for Kids WB, which mm. for listeners um, um, listening to this, Adrian was the producer and for Book Week, wasn't it, Adrian, for a few years ago now, yep. uh, we were invited to speak to fellow authors and illustrators and, and Robert said, why not come and interview me at the station? And that was, it was brilliant for us. It was we great like, fun. Felt yeah, like kids had, again. Yeah, we had lots of fun. It was great. But I, yeah, so I, I did, I am working at the fire station still and nothing much has really changed for me um, in that sense. Um, I worked last night, so I did night shift last night. Um, but I am reading as well. And um, I've, I've actually just read, well, I've nearly finished a cracker of a book, Um it's a book called Rainfish, and it's by an author called Andrew Patterson. And I think yep. it won the text prize, I think maybe last year. Um, and I've nearly finished that, and it's a, just a really beautiful, heartfelt, it's middle grade, I think, story about um, boyhood, really. And it's set in, in North Queensland in the heat and the humidity. It's kind of about this boy, Aaron, who's he's kind of trying to find his, you know, place in the world he's trying to find himself really. he doesn't really know who he is and he's and he's the youngest in, in his family um and he ends up meeting this older boy called Damon and he's a bit of a, a risk taker and um Aaron the boy in the, the main character 
decides, makes a really bad decision and does something that he probably shouldn't. And um, it's, it's about the ramifications of that. But it's a really beautiful um, story. I really loved it. And I think you're going to be hearing more about Rainfish and Andrew Patterson for sure. Wow. Right. Great I'm recommendation. I'm there. writing Rainfish. that down. As you yeah, said, it's really good. Yeah. And um, I'm also got, um, I'm about to delve into, I've got it on as my next read, which I've heard really great things about. We Were Wolves. Ah, um, uh, yes. I've probably mm-hmm. read it. It's a historical fiction, which I love, you know, um, set during World War II, um, East Prussia, Russians invade. Um, really looking forward to getting into that. Um, I've heard some great things about that. So I've got a couple on the go, uh, all ready to go. So um, read a couple of really good ones lately. It's really nice when you get a couple of good books. And Rainfish, but Rainfish is really lingering. And I know it's going to be with me, you know, when I close the page. And I think that's the... Uh, testament of a good story but um yeah absolutely I think, and, and rob it's interesting you say that because your books linger i know your books linger w- with the reader as well and, and and it's a nice parallel that's a nice segue when you said it was set in where was in north queensland did you say Rainfish? yeah yeah i mean and we let's go way back to you because you were you actually grew up or you were born you were born in queensland, yeah. Right? yeah yeah i was born um, in townsville Believe it or not, <laughs> and, and here's the thing: you like you lived on an army base when you were a kid, yeah. but then travelled. I mean, you travelled to was it something I read somewhere? I think actually you might have told me this. You went to about eight schools before you were even twelve years old, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So my dad was in the army, and um, you know he was an army officer, and and we he used to get we used to get posted to a new place every year, basically every year or a year and a half, and it was it was a really weird way to grow up. You know, it was a really restless sort of way of growing up and I always kind of felt like I was a new kid you know because every year you'd have to go to a new school so you'd you know rock up at a school and you'd start to make friends and all that and cement some really good friendships but when you'd always have it in the back of your mind that you were going to leave and say goodbye to these people so you never kind of really threw yourself into it you know Mm. with, with friendships and it taught me though you know a lot about friendship and and that good friends are hard to find and, and they should be cherished that's what I sort of learned about that and so I think it's something that I write a lot about in my stories friendship for sure yeah. um and you know and that's um me you know using my own childhood because that's what it was like for me but at the same time it was a pretty happy time for me you know that's all I sort of knew so that's just what we did but were, yeah, you, was, were yeah. you interested in books back then even though you were traveling a lot did you find any sort of comfort in books or did that come uh, a little later? Yeah, it came a little later. And I think I think that's, you know, a really good question because I think people come to books at different times and, and sometimes for different reasons too. And I probably didn't read as much as you would think when I, you know, being an author, as, as much as you'd think when I was younger because I was this sports crazy kid, you know, like mm. um, that's sort of how I sort of made friends. You know, people wanted you to be on their team and you sort of made friends quickly and that sort of stuff. I was always on the footy field or in the cricket nets or, you know, in the mm-hmm. pool or surfing. I used to love surfing or swimming or whatever. And I kind of got, always got lots of encouragement with that, with my sport, but never so much with my reading and my writing. And back when I went to school and you guys as well, you know, you didn't, you were never sort of encouraged to do the both. You're either one thing or the other, which is really mm. weird exactly. to think of that exactly. now, you know. Yeah. Um, and I sort of, I suppose I missed out on a lot of, of um, really great stories when I was growing up because of that. But I think for me, Fleet, you're right. Look, I, I discovered books um, later on in life when, you know, um, it wasn't about a book report or something like that or, or, or an exam or something. You know, reading became a really, 
pleasurable thing for me and a really personal thing. But, but having said that, you know, I didn't probably read as much as I, I, you know, you'd think I actually had something which was kind of like gold for me was I had two parents that were really fantastic storytellers, Mm. you know, and I think that's a real dying art, um, especially in my culture anyway. I know it's a a very popular uh, form of storytelling in a lot of other cultures, you know, that verbal storytelling. And my, my parents kind of didn't, really open up a book and read from a book they kind of just made up stories you know which was fantastic and I know Felice you're you were same with my family yes yeah 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 yeah. Yeah. and um yeah and uh my mom you know my my mum used to be a one she was especially good my mum you know and she'd have these great descriptions and so I think they kind of sparked my love of story really my mum and dad you know because they were such Mm. great storytellers Mm. Well, that kind of, in some ways, that inspired how you actually got into writing as a career, because weren't you telling some some wild and crazy stories with another family member at some point? Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. you're exactly right. I um, I actually, I, I reckon I, because I never really thought about being a writer when I was younger. You know, you, you speak to a lot of other authors and, you know, you get to know them and they you know, say things like weird stuff, like, um, you know, I wanted, knew I wanted to be a writer when I was seven. You know, or something yeah, like that. Or yeah, yeah. I wrote my first major story when I was nine years old. And I find that, I know it's probably not weird, but I find it weird because it was never really like that for me. You know, I, I kind of stumbled onto writing, you might say. I, was, I started, um, it was probably like 30 years ago, really. Um, when my brother Chris moved to Switzerland, he married this Swiss girl and he moved to this beautiful town near the German border called Liestel. You know, a typical picturesque, you know, Swiss town. Mm. It's beautiful. And we started writing letters to each other and um, I found out that I was a really crappy letter writer, like I was really bad, <laughs> basically. Um, I couldn't really or I couldn't be bothered, I suppose, filling a page of words to send to my brother, you know, in Switzerland to tell him what I was up to. And the stuff that I was writing was really boring. I just seemed to be doing the same sort of stuff all the time and I thought, I can't do that anymore, you know. So I, I actually started making stuff up in my letters um, Did he know that you were making it up? Or... Oh, yeah, he had a yeah. fair idea. Yeah. Right. Um, and, you know, it was maybe mainly to make my life sound a bit more interesting. And that's kind of pathetic, I know, but that's what I did. Um, and the more I made stuff up, these letters, yeah. they sort of started morphing into stories. They became these funny little adventure stories. And so instead of a letter, I'd send like a little chapter, you know, every month over to right. my brother Chris, you know, a little instalment every month. And... Um, and if ever I was late sending one, you know, I'd get on the phone. You started to kind of rely on them a little bit. You know, it was this stuff from home, you know, because it was about him and my other brother and the, some of the things that we got up to. And, um, and then he started showing his friends in Switzerland some of these little stories and they sort of started waiting for the next one as well. So I've got a bit of an audience going in Switzerland. <laughs> and it, it's, but it's interesting, Rob, because didn't you use uh, your brother Chris as a, a model, sort of a huge yeah. inspiration for your first book, yeah, wasn't he? In some yeah. ways, because he didn't, he struggled with not so much with schoolwork. He struggled, but he was yeah. in, he's incredibly creative, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly right. And uh, he, yeah. So funnily enough, he was the one who sort of encouraged me to to write. You know, to, he said, you know, you should do, be doing this. Mm. And um, so I wrote my first story. It's called My Name Is Will Thompson, and it's actually about a boy who has dyslexia. And my brother Chris had really bad dyslexia when he was mm. growing up. And, uh, you know, he found it, he used to write these letters back to front and, you know, I used to struggle with reading. And I remember my mum, when she was reading with him on the couch and he'd say, I can't see the words, mum, they're dancing. He'd always say the words are ah. dancing. And, you know, they were mm. moving around. I really remember that. 
And you can imagine what it was like for him moving around all the time. You remember I was saying, you know, school every year wasn't so mm. bad for me, but Chris kind of found it really, really, really hard because he kind of wasn't really good at sport and he wasn't great at schoolwork, you know. Um, and so he was a kind of easy target for, you know, any school bullies that happened to introduce themselves. So he had a really hard time and it was, and it was a story that I wanted to write. Mm. This is incredible that you uh, that he struggled a little bit with his with his reading. Yet your whole writing career is inspired by the the writing yeah. that you did for him. Yeah, I know it's it's really amazing, and it was that need to communicate probably with my own brother. And the funny thing is with Chris, and obviously, you know, people, you know, don't realise you know what kids have who have dyslexia are going through. And Chris actually, he's actually an English teacher now, which is kind of wow. really ironic. You really know, he right. teaches word. Really. The very things that gave him so much trouble in the first place. That's what he's teaching that. But he actually, two years ago, you could say he's obsessed with words because he finished his master's degree in German translation. So oh, when he was over, yeah, when he was in Switzerland, he learned German just really quickly, just picked it up, you know. Yeah. And now he sort of translates German novels and things into English, which is it's amazing, crazy. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so it's it's kind of ironic how it all started for me and. That's a brilliant story. What's the difference between the age difference between you and Chris? Just two years. Right. Two years. Yeah. Right. Right. And it's interesting, Fleach. I, I was I felt very moving around, I felt very protective of Chris. You know, I'd always go out looking for him to see if he was all right at lunchtime and stuff like that. And I kind of used that as well. With uh, when we, we were two. two. Yeah, yeah, Dan, yeah, that, Dan and that, Eddie. Yeah, that yeah. brotherly bond thing. I used that to and I thought that. that, and you see, with your books, though, Rob, you know, it just they just ooze empathy. So you you learnt this at a very early age, and perhaps moving around and 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 getting to know others and different people from different areas, you got yes. a real sense. You got a real sense of personalities at an early age, even though you didn't couldn't. Um, uh, you probably you could observe at that age, but you got to know it a little more as an adult, obviously. But as a kid, yeah. you're not sure what's going in and what you're taking in. But you obviously you your emotional intelligence from a very early very very early age right and yeah. and i see that it's it's so i see it when i'm reading your books you you have a sense of mateship and brotherhood and understanding of what others are going through you you can put yourself in their shoes and it was interesting that you've just said that you were the sort of like the dan to your yeah. to your Eddie, who was yeah. Chris, your brother, which is really interesting. But you know what? Before we move on to the other some of the other books, which I really want to talk about, um, tell us about your trumpet playing. That's oh, sort of, so yeah. random, isn't it? Yeah, uh, it's a bit <laughs> And why not um, the trombone? I thought you wanted to play the trombone. I did, yes. Adrian. Oh, you know it's still, well. Yeah, I wanted, <laughs> my grandfather played the trombone. And uh, see, my mum and dad used to have this old reel-to-reel, you know, those old tapes, and they used to have Louis Armstrong, Dukes mm. of Dixieland, you know, all that jazz. I used to love it. And my grandfather played the trombone, and he had a trombone, but I couldn't, my arm wasn't long enough to, you know, extend the slide you know, of the trombone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he said, why don't you play the trumpet? Because it's got valves, you know. You, it doesn't matter how long your arms are. I was only little. And uh, so I played the trumpet. I loved it. And, um, and I played for quite a long time, actually. And that was actually what I wanted to do. If I could have done anything, it would have been to be a really great trumpet player. Um, <laughs> and, in fact, I tried to get into College of the Arts and all that sort of stuff, but it never really, never happened. And um, I ended up doing something else, of course. <laughs> I'm the I same. I like, I like blowing my own trumpet as well. But, Robert, <laughs> you, don't, you don't have the trumpet there by any chance, do you? Yeah, I was going to say. A bit of a blast. No, I haven't got one anymore. I, oh. I got rid of it. Yeah. 
in the end. Yeah, I know. I was a, a fan of trumpet. I, I remember Year Seven. I was we. I was running late, and they said, "Who wants to join the band?" And I showed up late, and everyone had, had snatched the trumpets. The trumpets were already gone. They were popular, and so oh, were there were only two trombones, and I ended up with the euphonium. You know, oh yeah, no, I played the euphonium. Yeah, and, like, I, and yeah, well, I did because I got a little solo in Greensleeves, and I still remember it to oh, this day. I love Greensleeves. <laughs> yeah. Well, funnily <laughs> enough, when I got braces on my teeth and I couldn't play the trumpet because you got to press so hard, you know, the mouthpiece, and it used to cut the inside of my lips. Oh no! So I had to play the euphonium, and I also played the tuba for a while. Oh really? Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was one of the trumpeters. We had three trumpeters in our brass band at school, but I was so hopeless at it. I just used to mime. Oh <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I think uh, the teacher knew that, but didn't say anything. <laughs> uh, we should start up our own big band. I think this I is think so. <laughs> That'd be great. Calling. I was still sticking with young Robert Newton. Rob, I know you said you're into sports when you're younger, but didn't you? You were also into what about about uh, any any books or characters that sort of stuck with you, perhaps? What about Tintin? Does that ring oh, a bell? Oh yeah, yeah. That's yeah. I used to love Tintin. Um, and I think that's funny that you mentioned that because I think I got that off my off Chris as well because Chris, you know, who struggled with words, he he was a very visual person, you know, also. And um, that's the case with a lot of kids who have um, learning problems and especially dyslexia. But um, and I, he sort of introduced me to Tintin and I used to love Tintin, you know. It was pure escapism, you know. And I wanted to be Tintin, actually, you know, because I thought <laughs> back then, I thought he was cool, really cool. You know, looking back now, he's, you know, he's a little bit nerdy, you would probably say. He's got a but, cool um, dog. He's got a very cool dog. And we had a dog. Yeah, we had a dog called Snowy. <laughs> it was actually a bull terrier. So it looked nothing like Snowy, the little fluffy one in the book. And I made my mum knit me a turtleneck um, jumper, like Tim Tim <laughs> as well. And I used to love, I just used to love his adventures. You know, I used to go on adventures and do really exciting things. And I suppose it took me out of those places that I moved around to that, I perhaps didn't like so much, you know. For me, it was real escapism. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, Tintin. I used to love Tintin. It was fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> now, there's something else you you like, and you have a, a strong connection to, and you've mentioned it already. And I think we share this as well: our love of the water and swimming. Because I was a swimmer when I was a kid. But your love of swimming and the water, and it comes through in a couple of your books and themes. And I'm not sure you. I, I know you you know it because you always keep going back to the sea. You live by the by Port Phillip Bay here in in Melbourne on the Mornington yeah. Peninsula, mm. and. and can you, and you spray water everywhere. You spray water everywhere, but you swim, <laughs> yeah. you swim every morning, even in winter. Adrian, did you know this about Robert? You're an, is he an icebreaker? He's a, is Robert Newton icebergs. an icebreaker? Yes, he is. I, yeah, he is. I am. Wow. Have you, know that. Did you go swimming yesterday or this morning? Were you, uh, I didn't yesterday? go this morning because I came off night shift and um, drove down. I didn't really have time, but I went in yesterday. Yeah, it was beautiful. It's, it's really toasty now. It's 12 degrees in the water. 12 degrees, and if yeah, you're listening in northern, really northern America, that's around 54 degrees Fahrenheit. Yeah, that's pretty we got cold. down to, we've got a little thermometer tied around one of the little markers out to see where we swim, and it got down this year in the middle of winter to 9.6 degrees. My goodness. So, yeah. And wetsuits are frowned upon, so it's just... Um, just the budgies. Even, yeah, yeah, it's the budget. Oh, no. And three hats. <laughs> you, said something, you said something to me the other day, Rob. You said that first 100 metres, you feel like you're going to die when you just yeah. enter the water, right? Yeah. And, yeah. Bits, and bits fall off. 
Yeah, yeah. Bits, <laughs> bits fall off. Bits, oh, well, that's what bit, yeah, it's um, but it's yeah, that's what you just got to remind yourself. It's a hundred meters of pain, horrendous pain, and then it's um, your body just kicks in. It's an incredible thing, really. So, yeah. So why do you do it, Robert? Why do you do that? Uh, good question, Adrian. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, supposed to be good for you. Right. And um, it makes you feel really good after. I, you get a real buzz. It's 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 kind of gets really addictive, you know. Um, I, I really love it. Um, but it's supposed to be good for your circulatory system, your head, you know, anxiety and stress and all that sort of right. stuff. But really, yeah, we do about two k's every morning. So, amazing. Yeah, Felice really well, and I will see you down there tomorrow morning then. Yep, we bright will. and early. You bring the you the guys with the coffees and the bacon and egg rolls, will you? <laughs> <laughs> I, am, I am tempted to try. You know, there's a side of me that says, yeah, I could do that. Do it. It's <laughs> so good. All right. But, love you know, it. your love of the sea, though, it's, uh, you know where I'm probably going with this is because yeah. you mentioned it in a couple of your books yeah. um, and, and leaving something where it's just, you're leaving, there's this journey, you always create journeys like in, in, in uh, Mr. Romanov's Garden in the Sky, you know, mm -hmm. they're, uh, Lexi's, they're driving towards, to the sea, aren't they? They're yeah, on a journey to yeah. the sea to service paradise, but That's also true. with the boys, Eddie and Dan. Yeah. And when we were two, you know, they're heading to Port Macquarie. So this love of the sea, where did it start, and why? Why is it important? Does it represent? Can you see what it represented in your books, or you just? It just was. Um, sort of I, I just, I just love it. I feel really odd when I'm not near the sea, and I remember being in Europe. You know after uni, travelling around and stuff and being in a like a landlocked country like um, Hungary or something and feeling really um, almost claustrophobic because, you know, there was no sort of water. I mean, there's there's rivers and stuff, but I felt really strange when I'm not near water. Um, and I think I get that from my father. He was a lifesaver at Burley Heads and uh, we've always kind of, you know, we've never been snow people, you know, family. We've always gone to the beach, <laughs> always, you know. I don't know right. why, but we have. And I just think that's, and it was, it's in, in, in those stories, you know, the, those journeys that Dan and Eddie, Lexi, you know, taking, um, it's like this kind of holy grail, this light at the end of the tunnel, this, it's almost like a reward that they're heading towards, this beautiful blue. And I always sort of describe it, you know, this beautiful shimmering blue seas. And that sort of stuff. But I think that's also got a lot to do with my childhood too. You know, we lived, obviously didn't always live near the, near the water, but mm -hmm. um, the by, with times when we did, I think they were the happiest times for me. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and as you said, I mean, I'm going to Mr. I'm, I'm referencing Mr. Romanov's Garden in the Sky. A few years ago, I was there. Remember, we were there. We were invited to speak to booksellers and I was speaking yeah. about my the boy in the spy and you were there and Fleur yeah. Ferris was there as well and we we're speaking out our, about our stories and I was really taken by the fact that that book was born out of your work you do as a firefighter um, and it was really interesting because you said the protagonist was the first time you wrote the protagonist was a, a, a girl in this yeah. one as well yeah. but again similar it had this journey and sense of hope and all your books have a sort of a sense of hope but would you be able to just just uh, elaborate a little bit for the ones because I, I sort of think Mr Romanov's garden sort of went sort of it was a little hidden I mean a lot of people yeah. sort of it slipped under the yeah the radar a little bit didn't it but yeah. uh, it's one of those gem books like all your books are gems um, I just find, I know I'm gushing a bit, but I, you know I mean, <laughs> mean it, but when, when you 
can you just fill us about just how that story came about? Because I sure. think listeners might find this incredibly interesting. Yeah. Now it's not middle grade, is it? But it's well, upper, I think it's kind of is. Uh, uh, but I think you'd have to probably say year seven, really. Upper middle grade. I think yeah, there should middle. be two two versions of middle grade. Yes, for sure. I know for we're sure. talking about this more yeah. often. You know, there's the younger middle grade, yeah. from six to nine. But this one is really 11, 11 to thirteen. Um, tell us a little more about it. Okay, sure. Yeah. So uh, this, because uh, I have three daughters and they've been at me for for a while to, you know, dad, hello, you know, you got three daughters. When are you going to write a story about a girl? And it seemed like a, you know, fair enough question. So um, I just sort of started thinking about stories and this, this thing just popped out of my head. And it was, I think it was a little, it was an incident that I'd gone to in the fire brigade. And I think I'd pushed it to the back of my head for a reason and, and you'll work out why um, when I tell you. Um, in the fire brigade, I'm not sure if um, listeners know this, but we kind of go to medical calls as well with the ambulance. That's a part of what we do. Um, and I remember 25, it was, happened 25 years ago, believe it or not, um, and I was working at the main fire station in town, a place called Eastern Hill. And I remember it was a beautiful Saturday morning. It was in summer and it was this beautiful sunny day and we the, the tones went off in the fire station. We got this call for a, for a drug overdose. And it was at the Housing Commission Towers in Brunswick Street, Fitzroy. You know, those big concrete towers. You, you would have seen them. Um, and it was... So the announcement comes over the loudspeaker. 32-year-old 30 woman having a drug overdose on the 10th floor Housing Commission Tower, you know, around the corner. So there's three of us on this fire truck one day and we bundle into the fire truck. We go tearing out of the station with the lights and sirens going. And it's actually just round the corner from the station. So we're there in, I don't know, a minute, maybe 30 seconds even. And we pull up and the ambulance wasn't there. We pull up in front of this tower and the ambulance wasn't there yet. So we decide we'd better grab all our gear and go up and check it out and see if we can do, you know, whatever, some good CPR or that's what we do, you know, whatever, till the ambulance gets there. So we grab all our gear and we go into the elevator, push number 10 and this old, you know, antiquated elevator starts grinding up through the floors. You know, you never get somewhere quickly when you want to. And it get, eventually gets to number 10, uh, floor 10, and this little bell goes ding and the doors open and we look down the corridor and on the landing outside her apartment, there's a woman on her back and she's convulsing, right? She's having this heroin overdose. But sitting beside her is a seven-year-old daughter, right? And she's sitting next to her mum and she's holding her mum's hand and she's she's crying, she's sobbing. And... Um, and that really upset me that day. And I remember, and I don't mind saying it kind of haunted me for a, for a few months after. You know, it was really hard. And I think that's why I pushed it into the back of my head. It was a bit of a survival sort of technique. But I look back at it and it was a really chaotic that morning. You know, it was really crazy. Um, and the mum ended up dying that morning. Um, but what, and that upset me, but what really upset me the most, I think, was that I never really found out what, happened to that little girl yeah. and um and so I think I wanted to, you know so I kind of thought I want to write a story about this girl because it kind of helped me make sense of that morning too but it's sort of I wanted to give her a life you know after that crazy hectic morning but the funny thing is when I look back at it now and when I was writing the story you know 25 years later the thing I remember most about that morning am amongst all the chaos and the craziness uh, was that that little girl was wearing pink pajamas with white bunny rabbits on them? 
that's just what I remember. Yeah. Mm. And, you know, when I think about that, it's, it's <laughs> when the more I write, I think that writing is about the little things, you know, that, yes. that I'm kind of, I'm sort of realizing that the more I write, writing, you know, stories is about the little things that you notice, little things in life. Um, so I, so I had to bump this girl up. She was seven. She was about seven, that girl, but I've had to bump her up to 13 and I, I wrote this story about um, Lexi in the Housing Commission, yeah. Mm. Yeah, you said something focusing on the little things, Rob. It's so true. I think I'm finding that too, while, especially with your historical and your dialogue is so authentic, but it becomes because it's, it is in those little things, in the gestures that yeah. you write your characters, yeah. the gestures that Dan, you know, Dan yeah. holding his brother's hand, those small, yeah, yeah. Those very small focusing gestures. And I think currently right now, the times we're living in, we've all had to sort of focus on the little things, right? Yeah. We have to move in. And so we're all sort of hypersensitive and a little yeah. fragile. We're over lockdowns. But I think there's there's something really uh, joyous and there's a lot of hope in these small gestures that you've put yeah. in. Yeah. And I and uh, Fletch, I also um, yeah. you know, just just on that uh, Mr. Roman, I've all, every sort of fire station I've been at, and I don't, this is might sound odd, but I've always been around sort of housing commission and areas mm. like that. And um, I see, you know, a lot of stuff, obviously, you know, I've been in the fire brigade for 32 years and um, I always, you know, I always find it frustrating how some kids are dealt, you know, a really bad hand in life, you know, through yeah. no fault of their own. Some kids are up against it, you know, right from the start. They get dealt a really shitty hand, you know, and through no fault of their own. And, and I kind of see that in my job a lot and I kind of, like writing stories for people to young people like that because I think mm. it's really important that they see themselves like Alexi, you know, that they see themselves yes, in stories, yeah. obviously, and they know that there are other people like them out there. But I also think it's really important for perhaps more privileged young people to, to see that there are kids that are really struggling. And it might be the kid, you know, in their footy team or the kid in the band or the orchestra or whatever, yes, and you don't realise, yes. but there are, you know, it's really important to write. And I have, I, know, I make no apology for writing sometimes confronting stories. Gritty, and, yeah, gritty yeah, realism. Yeah, and yeah. it's important to show that to kids because where else are they going to learn about yeah, that or learn exactly empathy right. from all that? Yeah. Um, and, yes, probably from gaming or TV or whatever it is, but what if they don't have learn empathy from their family members? Yeah. They can get it from books yeah, and books exactly. like yours. And I don't think we should shy away from that sort of stuff. Certainly at that, that really crucial age and you write for that crucial age. I saw it, call it that crucial age because I write just a couple of years below you. Right. Yeah. So that, and then they move on to hopefully move on to your yeah. around those, that Y that upper middle grade uh, YA section but that's where reading drops off especially for a lot of boys too they drop off yeah. around 12 or 13 yeah. right yeah um, exactly. and we have to yeah. keep them going so i'm i'm sort of glad that you don't shy away from that and, sh and show how others live now what what's the response you get when you go into schools from those perhaps privileged kids or privileged schools that hear these great oh. stories no it's really good in fact you know um it's it's interesting that the sort of complaints I get aren't usually from young people. <laughs> They're usually from adults or a mm. uh, parent or a uh, teacher, you know, very rarely. But, um, mm. you know, that's where the complaint usually comes from. Look, young people are totally fine with 
you know, and look at my, my stuff's not over the top at all in any way. Um, but, um, you know, and we have to remember that there are, there are young people out there in year seven, year eight that are watching CSI and, you know, things like that. I mean, mm-hmm. I think they're a pretty, you know, savvy and sophisticated audience, despite what other people might think. Yeah. And it's a real, um, and everyone, we all say it all the time as authors, it's a real danger writing down to young people or trying to hide things or pretend that things aren't happening, you know. And um, they've, they've, because they're exposed to so much now, you know, on yeah. the internet and things like that, that they, they won't kind of, they'll close a book in the first two or three pages if they think you're trying to pull the wool, you know, you're trying to, you know, hide something from them or, or pretend or write down. Mm. Um, so, no, I always get a great um, response from young people. And even, at, you know, some of the more sort of privileged, maybe private schools, uh, they're really interested in stories yes, yeah. from other people um, that aren't like them. Mm. Well, that's um, you've almost answered the question of why stories matters, matter so yeah. well because that's mm. the Australia Reads uh, tagline this time around is stories that matter. And I think you've, you've um, absolutely nailed it with that. But, Robert, I wanted to ask you, speaking about reactions to your work, yeah. You are a dad of three daughters, as you said. Um, what do they make of your books? Because my two daughters, they give me a lot of honest feedback, Robert. I'm not sure about how you go, but I get it right between the eyes. Yeah, I do too, Adrian. Well, uh, in fact, um, two of my girls actually had to read. Their, their school was reading when we were two um, at their school. Dad's book? No way. That's, and the teachers... Yeah, they suggested that I come in uh, to have, and they said, there's no way you're coming into our school to talk <laughs> about. I'm embarrassed by Dad. I know. And I said, no, fair enough. I get that. But um, it was a funny, the first, <laughs> my oldest daughter, she's 19 now, but she, when she read Runner, my wife said, listen, you, it's about time you read one of your dad's books, you know. And so she went in and read Runner and, you know, came out and she'd finished it, you know, a few, obviously a few days later and, um, I said, oh, what did you reckon? She goes, yeah, not bad. <laughs> and that's quite high praise. Oh, I'm taking that as really high praise. <laughs> I think you should yeah, put that on bad. the next cover. It should that say, uh, not bad, <laughs> Robert's not bad. daughter. <laughs> oh, so, you know, that's about as far as it goes, as, as good as it gets, I reckon. No, I love it. I love yeah. it. Uh, so, uh, Robert, are you working on anything else? It's so, it's you know what, I think it's really wonderful that you do have this other life you know you have you're not just in a book literary bubble yeah you, yeah that's a, just a part of you you have this other life you meet other characters but you bring in that life into your writing are you does it you just wait for the character to come speak to you or what are you you know what um, how, how are you struck by inspiration or what where are you right now i mean yeah what's coming next a, weird time for us all anyway where yeah. are you it, it has this? been really yeah you're right it's been really weird and i thought you know, I could have written a, a probably a novel in you know in the two mm. you know in the two years of lockdown that we have been in, but I've I've kind of felt really a little bit unmotivated. I don't know. I just uh, sort of hadn't had the energy to do it. But I have got things on the go, and I usually when I'm starting, I usually write a, writing a couple of things, and one sort of will start scratching more than another, and I'll know mm. that's the one to go for. But I really wanted to do something different, um, and people always ask me, oh, "Are you going to write?" when are you going to write a story about the fire brigade or, you know, that sort of thing. And I never knew how I would do it, but um, I've got this idea of uh, I'm sort of writing a little sort of series of 
picture books, I'm not an illustrator, but words um, about this asthmatic five truck called Fergus, um, <laughs> who's, uh, asthma obviously is the worst thing you can have if you're a fire truck because you've got to go to fires and there's smoke at fires and this poor little Fergus, he's, um, and he's slightly crooked in the rear end as well. So he's sort of not quite right. And he, it's about, it's a classic underdog story. It's about him overcoming, you know, yeah. this thing. This, Rob, this is a marketer's dream. I yeah. Mean, he yeah. Said, I mean, if for the listeners who don't know what Rob looks like, they've got to look at right. I mean, you're a marketer. This is fantastic. And with your work. Yeah. Publishers, are you if, are you listening to this? Publishers, this is <laughs> jump on this one. <laughs> it's very inclusive. I've got you know, it's 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 a up to date, inclusive, diverse sort of story, um, and it's and it can be really anything. You know, it can be. And I was thinking it could be the kid, you know, like my brother Chris, who had a learning problem, had dyslexia. So it's kind of for all those kids that, again that are sort of might be struggling. And, um, and Fergus is, um, well, he's not able to go to fires. He kind of goes to this rescue. He rescues this girl's cat and he can do it because he's really small. He sort of backs into this little laneway and he's kind of the only fire truck that can do it. And uh, he realises that, you know, he it's not just about, you know, the things you can see. Sometimes it's about other things as well. So um, Brilliant. I feel like yeah. this is an exclusive, Adrian. An exclusive it is. Sneak it's preview, a, you know? It is. Yeah, it's a sneak peek at Robert's next big, uh, big project. So look out for Fergus the fire truck. <laughs> Sorry, I'm also doing a, a YA sort of thing. Which oh, I've, yeah, that's, yeah, I've got that, that going, next going, question, yeah. going back into maybe um, a bit of historical fictions sort of set during the Depression time in... Um, in Australia, so um, that's exciting. I'm getting back into that, and I love it. I love um, writing dialogue for those sorts of stories, and um, so yeah, that's exciting. Yeah. yeah, the authenticity you find in your dialogue. As I said this morning, I was reading when we were two again, and just the dialogue between the brothers. There, this it's so realistic. You know, when you're reading a book, I know when I. I can't see the scenes. When I see the scenes in a book, I, I I stop. I just don't believe it. But with you, I just want to keep reading yours. And sometimes I even go back to the dialogue. It's that yeah. subtle. Yeah. And there's 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 a, like there's an underlying sadness, especially in this book. But there's there's humor. There's so much humor in this yeah. as well yeah. between the brothers. I love it. I love the banter. And if you were thinking of a book to read for Australia Reads. Let's let's all pick up when we were two again. Thank you for joining us. It's it's been amazing to catch up with you, Robert Newton. You're a, you're an absolute uh, gentleman and a star. And thanks for catching up with us. And thanks, good luck guys. with the next projects that you've got. Um, and as Felice said, if anyone's looking for a new book for Australia Reads, absolutely check out some. Well, before some you leave, Newtons. yeah. Before you leave, Rob, what's your uh, Instagram account? Because I know you don't you know do a lot of social media, but we can find you on Instagram, right? So if we wanted to find you, it's Robert Newton, that's Robert Newton six, isn't it? That's right, Robert at, Newton six. At Robert Newton six. If you want to find Adrian Beck, it's at Adrian Beck Books. And if you want to find yours truly at Felicio Felice Arena, I see. I can't even say my name. Rob's the only one who, one of the few, calls me Felix. My English version yeah. of the name, Felicio and Arena you, Books. And you yeah. let me get away with it too. I do. I do. <laughs> I do. <laughs> hey, thanks again, great. Rob. It's oh, been thank great guys. to catch up thanks. with you. Great to chat. Good on you, yes. and uh, oh, yeah, we loved ha having you here as a guest for our Words and Nerds takeover. Thanks to Australia Reads, and uh, Rob, we'll see you at six a.m. tomorrow morning with budgies on, budgie smugglers on, and uh, and we'll go for a swim together. <laughs> Fantastic! Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> see you there, mate. See you, mate. Bye. 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 Oh, I'm gonna have to do some sit-ups before then. <laughs> Left the <it> light. <laughs> <laughs>
Thanks for listening to the Words and Nerds podcast. As Adrian and Felice said, these episodes are in partnership with Australia Reads because reading is the key to a smarter, healthier, happier nation. Hopefully, you'll make some time to read today. And don't forget to check out all the other Words and Nerds episodes that highlight the incredible work of many talented book creators because literature really has the power to change the world. Thank you, Felice and Adrian.